possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. What's up, everybody? On this episode of the podcast, we talk with Scott Wiley. Scott's the director of U.S. sales operations for Saluda Medical. He's also the CEO and founder of Procellus, a sales software company. Scott earned his MBA from Rice University, Jones Graduate School of Business, and was a multiple President's Club winner in his 11-year stint with Medtronic, working as a TM in the neuromodulation division. This guy has been a mentor to me throughout my entire career. He's absolutely filled to the brim with sales and business knowledge. Let's roll with this thing. Here he is, Scott Wally. Okay, episode number four, we got Scott Wally hot on the line. Excited to have him. Scott, what's going on, man? Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm flattered to be here, man. Anytime, man. No, excited to have you on the podcast. And, you know, just to get things started right away, let's go ahead and dive into this pool. I wanted to just kind of give the listeners, I mean, man, this extensive background you have, which is why I wanted to have you on. And I'm excited to hear you speak on some of the things we're going to speak on today. But just kind of give the listeners an idea of what you're doing right now, current day. Yeah, current day, I'm director of sales operations for a spinal cord stimulator startup company named Saluda Medical. Okay, so director of sales U.S., and then you got a lot of experience in the neuromodulation space, right, with Medtronic. So, and this is the first time, honestly, Scott, on this podcast that we're going to be talking around the pain space, right? And so just give the listeners an idea because the breadth of your experience, it's extensive all the way around, but most of it comes in that neuromod space. So with Medtronic for 11 plus years, can you explain spinal cord stimulation and 30,000 foot view for the listeners that might not know what it is? Yeah, man. So spinal cord stimulation, I think, is one of those specialties or one of those products in the medical device space that unless you're in it, a lot of people don't know a whole lot about it. So the devices are typically or designed to help alleviate chronic pain, chronic pain in patients. And I think that especially in today's world, you hear a lot about the opioid epidemic and abuse of opioids. So it's really kind of shed a lot of light on a patient population that I think to a degree has been underserved for decades. These devices can help patients get off of opioids, can return people to work. They can really do some amazing things in the hands of the right docs. So your time at Medtronic, you wore a lot of different hats. And we've talked about this before in person, but you've worn a, you wore a lot of different hats for Medtronic. And you were classified as what they call a smoke jumper. Can you explain to the listeners a little bit what exactly does smoke jumper mean? And kind of what role did you end up playing with Medtronic through your years with them? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So if you think about the typical medical device rep, right? So you get a territory and traditionally the reps want to stay in the same geography for as long as possible, right? They want to develop relationships and maintain those relationships and use them for as much as they're worth for as long as they can. And your last interviewee, the director or the writer of the challenger sale, right? So he takes that to a totally different place. And so the idea of a smoke jumper in the medical device industry is when instead of a rep 
living in one territory for the majority of their time spent at one company, they can take these smoke jumper reps and drop them into multiple different territories, whether they're rural markets, urban environments, competitive, loyal, whatever the case may be. In a short amount of time, these reps can identify the problems going on, diagnose the issues, put an action plan in place, and turn a territory around to make it profitable in the shortest amount of time possible. Man, so I will tell you, and when we talked about the smoke jumper thing, it really intrigued me because there's a lot to that. We could probably do a whole podcast, honestly, just, yeah, on, sure. just on the ability to be able to do that and quote unquote smoke jump. I wanted to ask you in terms of territory planning, right? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it. You just mentioned it right there. It's an important facet in any sales job, but in medical device, it really gets magnified. And so if you're not strategic with what you're doing and you're running around blind, you will not last long in this industry, right? And yeah. so when you're planning a territory, like when you were in one of your areas that you developed, what do you think are a couple good takeaways for the listeners that are maybe looking for some different tactics to plan their territory? And granted, I mean, a lot of territories are different, but just speaking in generalities. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that a lot of the people who listen to your podcast are in this business, you know, whether they're in an interview, talk to a recruiter, working with their sales manager, whatever the case may be, this idea of territory planning and strategy comes up. And I think one of the things that the majority of reps fail to do, which in my opinion is one of the strongest, most important pieces to developing this strategy or territory plan is understanding yourself as a rep. Right. You know, so Jamie as a rep or Scott as a rep or Chad as a rep, we all have different qualities and different things we're strong at and different things we're weak at. I think the first step to any rep building a territory plan or a territory strategy is understanding their strengths and understanding their weaknesses and really knowing how they can leverage those things in the environment that they're in. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, the strengths and weaknesses thing comes up a lot. came up in my first podcast with Jordan Chase as well, where if you, you've got to understand yourself as a rep, yourself as a salesperson, and you got to understand your geography. And in medical device, you don't have long to do that. And so when they drop right. you into a territory, you're expected to perform and perform pretty quickly at a relatively high level. And you did that in multiple areas. So the ability to do that and you show that on your resume, I mean, that speaks volumes for the, the kind of rep that you were. And honestly, it kind of propelled you into your next deal, which was Procellus, right? That's right. Yeah. Being able to diagnose and look at these different issues, and especially in the market that we were in or the, the part of the industry we're in, just like other reps, you know, you drive around in your car a lot of parts of the day and you're frustrated that you can't make things better, more efficient, easier, more effective, whatever the case may be. And I thought that same way. And I thought to myself at one point, I said, you know, I've got to do something about this. And that's really where the idea of building a data platform like Procellus came about. So just for the listeners, so Procellus, can you explain that in a little more detail for us, Scott, so the listeners can kind of understand what exactly Procellus was? I mean, I know it did a lot of different yeah. things. It was a phenomenal tool. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about you as a rep at a company, lots of companies buy data and they will send that data to the salespeople, usually in an Excel or CSV type platform. And, you know, if any of the reps that listen to this podcast or anything like me, when my companies would send me that data in this huge Excel file, I would look at the Excel document and say, well, why can't I even see the whole address? Or why can't 
I see all of this and how do I filter through this? I didn't know how to use the tool, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I think that there are a lot of reps who struggle with that. And a lot of reps didn't want to admit that. However, if I took my smartphone and searched for, I don't know, a restaurant or um, you know a movie theater or a sporting event, like I could find it pretty quickly on a map. And I always said to myself, like, why can't we take this really complex, difficult, large data set that they always send us in the field? Why can't I put that on a map? So what we did at Procellus uh, initially was we took an iPad and a phone-based platform and we allowed you to put a map over a certain area of the country and just say, hey, I want to find, a, I don't know, neurologists who write the most Lyrica medication. And it would drop pins on a map. Or I want to see the orthopedic surgeons who do the most knee replacements. And it drops pins on a map. And it tells you a lot of other data about docs. And when salespeople first saw that, their eyes got really big and said, this is something I've been looking for for years. Yeah, and I don't blame them. I mean, I used the tool and it is, it was, like I said before, it was phenomenal. I mean, it still is phenomenal. So we appreciate you coming out with that tool because it was ultra helpful in a lot of different ways when I used it. So yeah, for sure. Thank you. So also kind of around Procellus, one of the most interesting things I find about you, Scott, too, and when a question that not I get, but kind of I have and have had for a long time, and I'm sure other people wonder the same thing. So you had your MBA from Rice, and I think a lot of sales reps go through at one point or another a time where they think about getting an MBA. Mm -hmm. Is this MBA, can it help me in my current gig? Is it going to help me excel my career? There's just a lot of questions around that. And so I thought it would be awesome to ask you like what, I mean, you were fresh out and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's when you got this right as Procellus was being created or after or before. Yeah. You know, it kind of all runs into each other, right? So I was in MBA school and Procellus really came about as a project for grad school. One of our graduation projects was create a company from scratch and present that company, the business plan and all the financials, the whole nine yards, right? When I had this idea for a product and I said, hey, you know what? Why don't I try to create a real business plan around this and see what it'll look like? And, and that's really where the company was born. So the MBA, obviously, I mean, that's there certainly doesn't hurt anything to have an MBA. No, how not do you at think, all. Yeah. How do, no, not at all. How do you think it's helped you? I mean, obviously, it helps you create Procellus, but in the business world, obviously, being the director of sales and U.S. operations for Saluda, how do you think the MBA has kind of helped your career? This kind of just so the listeners can get an idea on if they are on the fence on an MBA, where it might help them. Yeah, you know, that's a great question, and it's a question that I've been asked a lot, especially when I was in the med device world and you know you do really great you've you've done really well why would you go back to school why would you do something like this and i really think it's it's the motivation of the individual like look if you love being a salesperson and there is no other motivation maybe you're bored maybe whatever the case may be you know and you say oh maybe i'll go get an mba but you love being a salesperson. That's what you always want to do. I don't necessarily know if an MBA is going to help you, right? I mean, salespeople, can they be taught? Sure. But some of the most successful salespeople, like they just kind of have that personality and that motivation inside of them already. You don't need an MBA or a specific education to be successful there. But if you're wanting to do more, if you're wanting to understand, you know, how does my company come to the decision to make headcount? How does my company understand that this is the next product to make when I think you should make this. Like the market is screaming for this, but the company doesn't ever seem to develop that product. Why is that? And those were a lot of the questions that I had. And 
receiving and doing the work for an MBA and then applying that, you know, in my role now, I understand a lot of those questions that I had before. And I understand why some of the companies I worked for made the decisions that they did, although then I didn't. And I think, too, that I think you have a very different appreciation for the companies that you work for. So one of the things that I recognized while I was getting my MBA is that my entire career I've always been in sales, whether it was my first job at CentOS, at J&J, or Medtronic. I've always been, in it, or I then, had always been an individual contributor, right? Like, make my sales number, take care of my customers, make sure my manager's happy, and I'm good, right? So you live in this very individualized role. And one of the things I recognized in MBA school was that that's not the way they teach. Right? You're taught how to run a business, how to manage a business. And when you're taught and you think about that, the business as a whole, you really kind of forget about the individualized aspects and you start to really approach business in a much more global fashion. So it really allows you to take a step back and say, okay, so this is why my manager made that decision. It makes more sense now. Or this is why we shouldn't do this. Or it really gives you an idea of how you can also leverage a lot of the products and a lot of the things you sell to help you grow your business when it might not be very obvious to you at first. No, Scott, that's perfect. I mean, that gives a great explanation to the listeners too that may be on the fence about an MBA because I know it does come up frequently. I mean, I've thought about it multiple times even. So it all depends on what the motivation of the person is, man. Right. Yeah. Where they want to take the career next kind of thing. I know I totally get it. And we're talking about it as you were talking too. I was thinking about what we're talking about a little bit ago was, you know, qualities in the sales rep and being in the role you were with Medtronic and growing those territories in different areas, I think one of the biggest things for salespeople to have, because it's ebbs and flows, it's, there's ups and downs, right? One week, you're way at the top. The next week, you might be closer to the bottom. You're feeling, I don't know what I did today. I don't even know what I sold. I mean, I know you've had those days, right? Absolutely. Where you come home Absolutely. and you're just defeated. Well, That's right. resilience, I think, is a quality that has to be had. By salespeople. You need to be resilient. And I feel like you can speak a little bit on that because the markets you were in were, before you got there, low performing or underpenetrated markets. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, when we talk about resiliency, I mean, that's probably one of the number one traits that these salespeople, you know, whether it's medical device or any other industry, you really need to have. I attribute a lot of my B2B sales experience early in my career, my early 20s, to literally knocking on doors of businesses and, you know, seven out of 10 places tell you to get lost. They don't even want to talk to you. But after a little bit of time, you you learn to just deal with that and say, oh, this is a numbers game. The more people I talk to, the more opportunities I have for success. But when I get to the smoke jumper idea and getting dropped into territories, I remember one territory I was given in a large city. I moved in and literally there was 40 doctors in the territory and two did business with the company that I worked for. And a lot of people said, man, why would you take that job? Why would you do that? You went from killing it to bottom of the barrel. And I looked at them and I looked at their business and I said, man, it's gonna be pretty tough for you to grow. I got nowhere to go but up. You know, so I really think that when you view the situation you're in or you view the environment in which you have to perform in, you know, you can look at the glass half full or the glass half empty. If you look at it as a glass half empty, 
it's never going to be a good situation, right? But if you look at it, you know, similar to the way I did and said, we only have two docs that currently use our system. I got 38 to go. I mean, I've got 38 different opportunities to grow this business as opposed to inheriting a business that had 38 out of 40 doctors using my product and I have little opportunity to grow. So I think it really depends on how you view that opportunity you're placed in. You know, it, and that's similar to my, I mean, not exactly similar, but very kind of congruent to my experience moving to Houston. I mean, I had an opportunity to, the whole reason I moved to this city was this was the lowest performing territory for the company that I moved here for. And they said, we're dropping you into the lowest performing market we have in this company. You know, are you going to be okay with doing that? And I was, I mean, I jumped at it because that's, I don't see that as a challenge. I see that as an opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I've, look, I've been in company meetings before where we're being taught about new products or whatever the case may be. And I've heard reps say, you know, I would never want to be in an environment where it's 90% competitive and why would you want to be in that situation? And I, I really think that that really separates the real hunters, the real challengers from the farmer type reps. And look, there's a place for both in the industry. But, you know, if you're looking to turn a business around or you're wanting to flip a market on its head, like you need those hunters, you need those challengers because they look at environments like that as target rich, I guess you could say. They look at it as a huge opportunity to grow, not as a huge opportunity to fail. You know, Cintas, I just keep thinking, and also while you're talking, I'm thinking about CentOS and some of these other B2Bs like ADP and yep. you were so spot on by saying, because I've seen it, you know, my sister-in-law works mm-hmm. for ADP and the amount of cold calls and just outright no real roadmap for them, right? That's they just right. sit, they just, they call and it's door after door and some of them open, some of them close, but yep. you find out a lot about yourself when you're B2B. And that was a perfect point you made by being like, I attribute that to my early sales career. Now, I didn't have that B2B experience, but I've seen nothing short of what you just said in terms of it really molding the salesperson from the get-go. I mean, you come out of there and you know how to take rejection. Absolutely, man. You know, I have people that reach out to me on LinkedIn, you know, all the time and they say, you know, look at your career. Like, I kind of want to do the things that you've done. Like, how do I get into that business? And they're always looking at, well, how do I get in the med device business? And I tell them all the time, like, you know, you might have a friend of a friend who can get you an interview or can get you the friends and family introduction, right? And, And that's great. I mean, if you're looking to get an interview, but I mean, if you're looking to build a career and be very successful and be very confident in your skills and abilities. I tell them all the time, go get a job at a CentOS, an ADP, a Xerox. You know, when you can spend the time in these very hard sales environments, like you said, there is no direction. It's here are products. Here's the geography on the map you cover. Go get them. And that's about it, right? So I think that when you come from that background or you cut your teeth in that environment, you can be a very, very good salesperson in the med device industry. Look, hey, at least this, you can look up on the wall of a building and see who the potential customers are by just knowing the specialty you sell to versus the B2B thing where it's knock on every door you can, right? So, no, I agree with you. So, Scott, let's talk about Johnson & Johnson for a second. Obviously, huge company, right? And we you sold, what did you sell for Johnson & Johnson? Yeah, I sold uh, GYN and urology products for J&J. Okay, are we talking pharma? Oh, no, so I've always done devices. I've never okay. done pharma. So it was all G- OBGYN and urology devices, implantables and disposables. 
Oh, no. Awesome. So J&J is a pretty big company. Your experience at J&J, what did you pull out of that? So that was your that was yeah. coming off of us. Was that after CentOS? That's right. So I went from CentOS to J&J, which I think, you know, as a 22-year-old getting in the device business and Johnson & Johnson calls you, I mean, your eyes light up. And I think the thing that I took from J&J more than anything else is that that company, beyond any other company I've ever worked for, prepared its salespeople for the field like no one else. I mean, their training program, um, I mean, we spent four days in a row in a cadaver lab just teaching us anatomy of patients and where we'd be working and what we need to understand and what we need to recognize in surgery, which has never happened again for me in my career. And that was 20 years ago. They went through incredible detail in teaching us the clinical and the sales aspects of their product. So, I mean, J&J by far of all my experience and whether that's my companies I've worked for or when I was doing a lot of consulting work and training work with Procellus, I mean, no one's ever done training like they did. Yeah, J&J is, they're known for their training programs. And to your point, when you're 22 and J&J calls, you go running. I mean, that's, I, you know. that's right. You drop everything you're doing and you say, how can I land this job? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things that come with the J&J name and that training program is definitely one of them. And also, you know, CentOS and those other, those other ones had good training programs too. So you started out on a strong foot to say the least. Yeah, there's no doubt, man. I, I think too, look, when you're first getting into sales and, and this might be somewhat elementary for the majority of your listeners, but for the guys and girls who are wanting to get into this business, I mean, a lot of times everyone wants to jump straight into devices and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, look, if I were to given that opportunity at 21 years old, I probably would have. But I think that that foundation of understanding how to sell and understanding buying signals and understanding objections and how to deal with them. And, you know, you don't get a lot of that at the device companies. You know, they expect you to know how to do that already. So if you don't have that background at some level, you know, sometimes you can find yourself struggling right away. So I really think that getting into the business, it's important to have a good foundation. And, you know, look, I think we're always looking for opportunities to better ourselves and better our careers. And, you know, fortunately for me, I got to work at some stellar companies throughout my career thus far. Yeah, no question on that. And I wanted to kind of revert back around to kind of the sales aspect here. So I wanted to give a, like a small scenario because I feel like, Scott, you knew how and still know how to this day to drive value right, with your customers, right? And that's the name of the game in any sales role, device or otherwise. And how did you position yourself? Because I've seen you work in person. And the relationships are good. They're really good. But like we talked about with Matt Dixon on episode three, you had a different type of relationship with your customers. How did you get to that place with your doctors, with your staff, with the advanced practitioners? Because I saw it, man. How did you get there? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. You know, I think... A, you have to understand that it's a process, right? But one of the things that, you know, we talk about relationships and then we talk about value. And I don't think they're the same thing. I think a lot of reps think that they bring value by bringing a relationship. And in my opinion, I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, there are a lot of doctors that I had a decent relationship with, like we got along, but we didn't hang out on the weekends. We didn't, we didn't have a drink after work, but they respected me. And I think that that probably helped me in my career more than anything else. But I think when it comes to value, most reps, and we used to teach this at Procellus all the time, is that most reps, when I would ask them, you know, tell me how you provide value, a lot of them would say, you know, well, I'm on time. 
I'm never late for surgery. I have all the products. I have backup product. I know what I'm doing in the operating room. And believe it or not, Jamie, I mean, 90 plus percent of the reps I would teach, they all said the same thing. Similar to that when I asked them about bringing value. And then when I turn that around on them, I look at them and I say, do you think your competitors do those things? And they said, well, well, you know, they probably should if they don't. And I look at them, I'm like, look, the reality of the medical device business is if you can't do at least that, you won't last a quarter. The docs don't work with you. They'll throw you out. I mean, you have, that, that's, the, that's admission to the game. So bringing value, most reps think they're bringing value by showing up. Um, and nothing could be further from the truth. So when I would look at bringing value to docs, I need to understand what their plight is. I need to understand what keeps them up at night. And, you know, as device reps, we're taught our product is the solution to their problem. Well, sure, if they view their problem, anything relative to your product. But the reality is, you know, these docs are, lots of them are entrepreneurs. They, you know, if they're a private practice doctor, you know, they're not that different than the person who opened up the restaurant or the, the dry cleaners or something else, right? Like they took a risk. They run a business. They got to keep the lights on. They got to keep their people employed. They need to keep employee morale high. So when you walk in with your widget thinking you're coming in with a solution to all their problems, I mean, maybe you are for that day or that time, but the reality is that's not going to change their life. So, I mean, I think that what you really need to do is get down and understand what the real struggles are with these physicians, whether they're private practice, whether they work for a large hospital system. And once you understand where their struggles actually are, then you can actually start to provide some solutions. But 99% of the time, their struggle isn't with what product they're going to use that day in surgery. No, it's not. It's, they're going to go with, I have so many emotions about what you just said. <laughs> so I got to contain myself because, and we've talked about it before, Scott, if you don't drive the right type of value in the medical device world with your customers and you're selling on a widget, yeah. when that widget, when the next widget comes out, which there's always a next widget, you're done. That's right. You're blown out of the water because all you were to that doctor was a widget salesman. That's right. Yeah. You're you know, I make the analogy all the time to companies, right? So, I mean, if you look at pacemakers, right, and defibrillators, like they literally keep people alive. And if you are to look at clinical evidence, and don't get me wrong, I've never sold pacemakers or defibrillators, but it, there's multiple companies that sell them. And if you look at clinical evidence, you know, one article is going to say this one is better than that one. Another article is going to say one's better than the other. But guess what? At the end of the day, all of them work. If they didn't, patients would die and that's not going to stay on the market very long. So all these products work. So how do doctors make a decision on which product they're going to use? Now, there may be situations where this product may be better for this specific individualized patient, but the majority of the time, these doctors kind of have a brand or a style or a system that they preferably use most of the time. So why are they making those decisions, whether they're pacemakers, spinal cord stimulators, other products, orthopedics, spine, whatever the case may be? And the reality is because these reps understand their business and they help them with their business. So I talk to reps all the time and, you know, I ask them like, what is the one thing that drives healthcare and uh, healthcare sales? And they'll say, well, the products we sell, like you just mentioned, right? And I look at them and say, no, because today your product might be the best and tomorrow it's not. And the day after that, it'll be the small, you know, the worst or the least, at least advanced. Right. What do you do then? And they'll say, well, hospital systems and territories drive the business. And I look at them and say, no, I mean, the reality is this in order 
for a patient or for a doctor to use a device in order for a hospital to be open, the number one thing they need is patients. It doesn't matter if you're a primary care doctor and you're just trying to get patients who come in with bronchitis, like you just try to establish yourself. It doesn't matter if you're an orthopedic surgeon or a neurosurgeon. If patients aren't in your office, you don't have a business. Just like the restaurant that doesn't have customers goes out of business, there's no difference. So I think that a lot of reps take for granted that the doctors they work with are just piled up with patients and they don't know what to do with them all. And the reality is that's not the case, especially in the environment that we're in today in healthcare. You know, the private practitioner is doing everything they can for themselves to stay private and not have to work for a big healthcare system and give up that autonomy. So I think that the more you can understand on how that business works, the more valuable you become to the customer. In this day and age, Scott, with COVID right here in our face, our doctors, I don't care what specialty you're in, I don't care if you're selling pharma, devices, gauze pads, you name it, I don't care what you're selling, you matter to the physician. And if you're just going in there, after all this is done, let's say, you know, a week from now, you go in and you just try and you're not empathetic to their business and you don't understand what they're going through on multiple levels and you can't deliver or help them through their major problem right now, Scott, which for many practices is probably revenue, right? At this right. point, sure, you're dead in the water. I mean, what good are That's you to right. them? I mean, I mean, you're replaceable like the internet provider at their office, right? I mean, that was the thing that I always tried to do with my career, you know, and obviously I'm not a device rep in the time of COVID, right? But one of the things I always wanted to do with my career that, you know, whether I was number one in the country at Medtronic or starting a new territory or starting a new job at J&J, I always wanted to make sure that I wasn't easily replaceable. Because, look, if you're easily replaceable, the wind may change directions that day and you don't have any business anymore. So one of the things I really went out of my way to do was try to put myself in an empathetic position with my customer, my physician customer, and even their staff and say, what do they struggle with? How can I help fix that? And how can I help make or create an environment where when my competitor comes in, even if they have a cool product, even if it's the latest, greatest, nicest widget on the market, I want to create an environment where my doc says, man, that's really pretty cool, but there's no way I'm willing to give up Scott for that. And if you can put yourself in that environment, I don't want to say you're ever untouchable, but it's really, really hard for the customer to leave you at that point. Oh, you're hard to beat. Yep. Nobody's unbeatable, but when you're at that point with the customer or with the doc, you're very, very tough to beat. I would agree, you know, and I think that bringing that value or bringing value never stops, right? I mean, I don't think that, I think that you, you as a rep climb a mountain to a certain degree with providing value to a physician customer. But I think that once you climb that mountain, you can't ever stop, right? They, they kind of expect you to be ahead of the curve on a lot of different things. And look, when you become the go-to person that they call and say, hey, what's going on in this business or what's going on at that facility, or you kind of become the eyes and ears of them through the market. When you become indispensable in that way with your customers, as you say, you, you become very hard to replace. Are there certain things that you do? I mean, there may not be, or that you can remember you did as a rep to understand your business more. Is there like, is there some place on the internet you can go? Can I mean, are you hopping on Google? Because I feel like there's a lot of reps that are going to listen to this podcast, Scott, and they're going to say, this sounds awesome. 
but how do I get more educated on my specialty? How do yeah, I get more educated on what physicians are going through? You know, that's a great question, right? And you know, I don't think there's any silver bullet to that answer, but I will tell you this. When you sit down with your physician customer, and I don't mean in the office, like you got to get them out of the office to where they can give you the attention that you're really looking for. You got to ask them. Most reps don't want to talk to docs or aren't comfortable talking to the docs about their business. Like really, what is really going on? And I, I think that when you sit down and you start asking those questions and, you, you know, when a doc sees your wheels turning and you're trying to understand their business and understand where patients come from. And well, if you treat patients that take this medication, well, doc, what other specialties write that medicine as well? And well, why did they write it? And they'll actually tell you and you start putting these pieces to the puzzle together and you sit there and you say to yourself, so well, hold on a second. If I understand this right, like 70% of your referrals come from these kinds of specialists. But you just told me the patients who take a certain medication are the best candidates to be a, a patient of yours, but the docs who write the most of that don't refer to you. Why? And quickly, I found out, you know, in my personal situation, I found out the docs who write the majority of the medication that identifies patients for not only my therapy, but the patients they want to treat, that specialty of physician didn't really refer to pain doctors. And no one understood why. Genius, man. So once you understand that question, once you understand that answer, and then you can put something in front of those docs that's valuable to them as well, and you create a bridge to an entirely new specialty for referrals, man, there's not a whole lot you can do in medicine better than solidify your own customer's business. And I think that in any type of sales role, in my opinion, is my opinion, Scott, too, and you just hit on it about 10 times in what you just said. If you know your industry, I don't care what industry you're in and you know it well enough and you have the ability to teach the customer something. That's right. If you can teach them something, yeah, that's you, right. you're going to win. That's right. So when you can teach your customers, right? So when I first started off and started learning about referral pathways and those sorts of things and how to bridge those gaps, you know, I was teaching something then. When we talked about the MBA earlier, but when I really started understanding efficiency and finance and teaching my docs what they're doing with their time and how much it costs them per hour and saying, hey, look, you can keep doing what you're doing or you could kind of shift to this schedule work three to four days a week, spend 40% less money and make 70% more. They start hearing those things and they start saying, well, how do I do that? And if you can teach them, you've taught something to them that'll last a lifetime, right? Yeah. And Scott, to your point as well, it's like, if you can do that, man, your device could cost $6,000, $10,000 more a case. And that doctor's using that product. That yeah, hospital's maybe. using that product. It just, it's not a, hey, this is less expensive. I mean, you get away from a lot of things. But never once will that doctor turn to you and say, you're charging too much or his hospital or his ASC that he owns say, hey, you need to come down on this price or et cetera, et cetera. It'll never happen. And when That's the new cool. widget comes out, not say they're never moving, but ultra difficult to move that rock right there for the competitor. That's right, man. Winning business is one thing. Putting walls up around your business that are impenetrable. Totally well said. different conversation. Totally different conversation. Put it in the walls up. I like that. Yeah. That's exactly what you have to do. I mean, if you got to build them high and build them strong because in medical device, there's someone always trying to climb up the wall and get inside. I mean, it's just, it's how the industry is. And honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of the industry, how competitive it is. Because when you get up every day, 
it's something different. And it's funny, you mentioned before, the reps were saying that if they show up on time, they bring the right stuff. All that stuff, If, like you said, if you're not doing that, you're gone because everybody is doing that. That's Every, right. That's just, that's just the ticket to the game. Yeah, but I will tell you this, though. Also, I think you'll agree with me in the OR, and that's a whole nother ball game, right? So when you step into the operating room, you're in their office, you're talking business, you're talking their clinic, you go into the operating room, there's little margin for error there. That's right. And depending on what device you're selling, there's a lot of different ways that you can stab yourself in the foot in medical device sales. And in the OR is one place where you got to, it's two sides of the business, in my opinion. Man, and you, you're, you're exactly right, Jamie. I mean, I don't think you could have said it better. Understanding sales and understanding your customer and providing value and those sorts of things outside the operating room, one thing. But when you step foot in that operating room, the mask goes on and you're in your scrubs and you know your doc turns and looks at you and says, Jamie, what do you suggest? Meaning, I'm out of options. I need you to get me through this. The best of the best, even if they're less experienced, know how to handle that situation and know how to handle it delicately. But if you go the wrong direction there, you can end your career. Right then and there. Because if there's one thing I've noticed, and I've noticed this since day one when I started Device, is you don't truly get a second chance. And it's weird to say that. Yeah. But when you lose the credibility in the OR with that OR staff and that doc, because his license, a lot of time, his or her license is on the line, too. I mean, it's not all on you, right? You're It's right. a team effort, but you're the expert on that device. Yeah, you're man, the I eyes. Could, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's lots of times that as a rep, especially early in my career, you know, I might have said the wrong thing or acted the wrong way or whatever the case may be or read a situation wrong in an office, in a selling scenario, right? That you can recover from. But if you're in an operating room and whether the doc doesn't like your demeanor, you're not paying attention, you're, you're on your phone texting people, you know, all these things that are saying to the doc, my patient isn't the most important thing to that person right now. That is a very, very difficult thing to overcome. That is not the place where you're given many chances to right or wrong. No, you're certainly not given many chances. And so... With that, I know we're getting a little bit short on time, Scott, but before we go, I know that you had written, this is in 2018, but you had, you know, you had done a blog, right? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing and actually won an award, correct? It was like, it was the most, what award did it win? Yeah, it was one of the top medical device blogs in the world, actually, for 2018. So, Quickly, why did you decide to do that? Number one, because I think it's a great blog. I've read it. Why did you decide to do it and how do you think it benefited your business, which is obviously Procellus and, and you just on a personal front? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, when, when we started Procellus, my partner suggested that there be a blog written. And, you know, if you've never started a company, much less a tech company, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many things that one person can do. So that person was not a medical device expert, but was in sales and they were writing the blog. And I had never written blogs before. I'd seen stuff on LinkedIn and I didn't know what how many likes or views was good or wasn't. But when I was reading the blog, I, I was saying to myself, like, I wouldn't read this. Like, it wouldn't provide value to me. And I kind of viewed me as a potential customer. And so at one point, I took over the blog. 
And I started writing the blog about my experiences in medical device and what a day in the life of a rep was, a med device rep, or will reps always be allowed in surgery, like to have them there and to have to not have them there. And um, those sorts of things and things that really resonated with people like me and people like you who are in the operating room, who were medical device salespeople. And the blog took off. I mean, there there were certain times where I'd be 10,000 views, 20,000 views, 30,000 views on these blogs that I wrote. And what it really did was it, it showed me and the feedback that we got from those blogs was it really showed me, hey, there are a lot of people out there that live this life that we live as medical device people that deal with a lot of the same issues you do. I mean, just because you're in Houston and someone else is in Chicago or San Diego doesn't mean they don't deal with similar things. So I think for the reps to see that, I think it encouraged them in some areas and maybe changed their perspective on certain things. And then for the younger reps, I mean, the probably the most feedback I ever got was the younger reps who were either getting into the business, had only been in the business for a couple of years, they would read it and they'd say, you've really lived this life. Like I learned from this blog. It teaches me how to deal with this. It teaches me creating value like we've talked about. And it really, uh, it really helped a lot of different people. Have you thought about continuing it? You know, that's a great question. I've been asked that man, a lot. I have. I'm not right in a place right this second where I can. My my time's a little tight with what I'm doing, but I'm definitely considering picking the blog back up for sure. Because, you know, that's why I started to do this podcast too, is because I'm a huge fan of the medical device community. And there's thousands of salespeople and marketing people and just different types. I mean, everything, right? I mean, business development, I don't care what you are. If you're in the medical device space, I feel like it's a tight knit community and we're all dealing with similar stuff. And at the end of the day, we're all out here to help patients, right? And so I just, I really respected the fact that you had that blog. This is why I'm doing the Med Device Unleashed podcast. And I just have a big passion for this business, for this industry and for sales in particular. And I really appreciate you coming on, Scott. I mean, this has been awesome, man. Just a oh. really action-packed. And, oh, wait, I wanted to ask you real quick. Sure. Before, we, before we wrap this thing up, I wanted to ask you, OR, can you give me like your craziest OR story without names or anything? Craziest? Okay, so I'll make fun of myself then. I'll say make fun of myself. So, you know, one of the, the big things about reps in the OR is stay away from the sterile field, stay away from docs, you know, all those different things. So I was in a hospital that actually had a very large operating room, which, you know, the more ORs you go into, the more you'll see that some of them aren't nearly as big as you'd like them to be. And uh, I was standing by the back table. And in this scenario, the back table was kind of by the foot of the patient. And there was probably 20 feet behind me to the wall. So it was really large. And uh, I had my laser pointer out and I was pointing at certain things on the table, helping the scrub tech uh, get through some stuff. And I heard a, a voice call me from behind and it was a circulating nurse. Well, the doc was walking from one side of the table past the foot of the table and there were monitors and everything. So I didn't know the doc was there. And as I turned around, the doc was walking behind a monitor and I turned around to turn around to look at the circulating nurse and chest to chest hit the doc right in the chest. I mean, ran right into wow, the, man. the whole nine yards. I had been Get in the out of here. I had been in the business over a decade at that point. I'd never been anywhere near dock and surgery or the sterile, anything, right? And the dock was just as surprised as I was. Obviously, a complete accident. Neither one of us knew about it. But that was probably a low point in my OR life to actually literally run into a doctor chest to chest in an operating room in the middle of surgery. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, tra- so, yeah. 
<laughs> try to avoid that at all costs. Well, I'll, make, I'll go ahead and make fun of myself on that. But hey, you know, something, Jamie, I was thinking about that, you know, I'd like to mention before we hop off is we both have a passion for this space. And the ultimate gratification is really helping patients, you know, whether it's you get them through a rough spot in their life, you give their life back to them, whatever the case may be. And, you know, and there's only certain jobs in this business where you actually get to see a before and after, and it can be incredibly gratifying. But for a lot of us, we don't get to do that. But one of the things that we all can do is whether you've been in the business 10 years or 10 months, don't ever shy away from an opportunity to help someone that's newer. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean younger, older, whatever, but maybe less experienced. And sometimes it's hard for people to reach out and admit, you know, hey, I need help here, whether it's a coworker or someone else, you know, an adjacent business, whatever the case may be. But I think that we all can really gain a lot from giving back to others and really helping them understand how to help move forward in their careers or whatever they may be struggling with. And I think that your podcast here can really help a lot of folks. And, you know, I'm really flattered you asked me to be on. I'm really loving what you're doing. No, I appreciate that, Scott. means a lot. And we'll absolutely have you back on this thing. You know that. Take care of yourself, sir. Have a wonderful night and stay safe out there, okay? You got it, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott.